In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Matt Shapson, Director of Marketing for Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Matt has been part of Amphenol since 2014. We talk about the tremendous sense of pride in being part of the Amphenol Frontline team during the COVID-19 pandemic. We talk about the unique structure of ABS and how bringing a number of similar divisions into one storefront has paid huge dividends for their success. We talk about his time at Temple University and his job at Apple during his college years. We talk about what it was like for his family's business to eventually be acquired by Amphenol. And we talk about his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. You and I have talked a few times a week for the last year being a part of the Frontline team. What is the experience? I know what it's been like for me, but what has the experience been like for you to help out the entire Amphenol Corporation as we, we've we been battling this COVID-19 pandemic here for just about the last year? What What's that meant to you to be a part of that? I mean, what a cool thing to be part of such a unique team. You know, I was just talking about it over the weekend to um, to some friends, and I said it's really interesting because you have this, like, makeshift team of people that have come from all over Amphenol and everyone kind of brings their skill and their personality and somehow it all just like fit and work, you know, someone, you know, a couple months in, they're like, you know what, we need help for this. I got just the person for that. Mm -hmm. We need just, just the help for, for this. I know, I know who to ask, who to bring in. And then it became this really cool team and everyone's got their role. And then like, to be honest, it didn't really, set in like how how much people relied on the information or that people were really utilizing the information and like really valuing the work that was going on Mm -hmm. you know until recently until the worldwide managers meeting and you're like wow like it's really really cool it's really an honor to be part of a team like that you know it really is making a difference and uh and a change so yeah i i I agree and and not to pat ourselves on the back here, but it's been incredibly rewarding, I think, from just a, you know, not to speak for the people on the team, but just it's been incredibly rewarding, like moving almost to have people like, thank you for providing this information so we didn't have to go out and search for all this stuff. Um, you guys did it and we did it as collateral duties for all of us, basically. From one member to another, you know, I know that it's been a great experience and um, hopefully it will start to slow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, yeah, fingers I mean, crossed. <laughs> on one hand, great experience. Yeah. On the other hand, an experience I never wish to ever happen or to have again, yeah. have again you know, yeah. I, or yeah. the way it came together is very unfortunate, but um, just from a, you know, personal experience and then, getting to know other Amphenolian experience. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent. I mean, excellent group. And it was, I mean, I don't want to go too far off into the, into the weeds, but yeah. I was thinking about, about this the other day. I think when we all started, we all came to, together because we had such a big challenge the way Amphenol is set up, so decentralized. Yeah, That was the greatest challenge of the whole thing. How do we communicate to everybody and how do we make information relevant to so many people and everyone's kind of doing their it's the very Amphenol way you know yeah. uh, everyone runs their group runs their business right 
And then that was the biggest challenge. And then fast forward a year later and you look at how successful we were. I say we as Amphenol, mm-hmm. not Frontline, but, but as Amphenol. And I think because of its decentralization is why it was so effective. Yeah. Because we could put out some guidance or information and instead of being one massive organization trying to implement, we had 120 plus groups of people that were already running their businesses, running their teams, running their groups. And that structure was probably what I think made us the most successful. Yeah, I, I think really. so too. I mean, it's it was they still maintained that same type of uh, you know entrepreneurship, but did it with information that we provided that was clear, that was consistent, and that was, we hope, accurate. And they didn't have to rely on people from their team to go out and get all that stuff. And then it doesn't jive with maybe what, you know, some of the other Amphenol divisions are doing. They just, I, th- I think, you know, I'm assuming just talking to mm-hmm. a handful of people that it was just, I don't have to think about that now. I know I can go there. I can see what we can and can't do. And then we can make the decisions and move forward um, to your yeah. point. So anyway, yeah, I don't want to belabor this as well here. It's, it's going to sound like we sit here and pat ourselves on the back for forever. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to do that. So I want to I want to jump to what your normal role is, which is um, mm-hmm. director of marketing for Amphenol Broadband Solutions. So tell us a little bit about ABS and what they do and for people who may not know. Okay, so Amphenol Broadband, what a long story tale of of a company. (laughs) So right now, uh, Amphenol Broadband Solutions is the storefront um, to the broadband and telecommunication industry, primarily in the the U.S. and then, of course, Europe, really, really everywhere. We do have some kind of like offshoots of how we're set up, but we're really supplying all of the broadband telecommunication companies – and that reach has really stretched where now we have hands in, in wireless and satellite, really all the other businesses as we kind of bring more companies on board mm-hmm. with us. Um, and I say that because ABS really started as more as like a conglomerate of multiple brands, multiple right. Amphenol companies. We've pulled everything together because there's so much overlap. There's so much crossover with our customers. And then, you know, we're having an Amphenol company going in to see a customer and then right behind right behind us is another Amphenol company going yeah. in to see the same customer and right. the optics wasn't really that that good. Yeah. And really focusing originally in broadband, now we're focusing, you know, our broadband operators, the Comcast of the world, charters, they're all wireless carriers now. Mm-hmm. So we're having a lot of crossover. So really supporting all of our broadband telco businesses around the world and supporting them with fiber optic equipment, um, cable, coaxial, um, copper products, uh, passives and actives in optics, uh, RF, and then everything to build those communication networks. So the pedestals and housings, plastics and plastic enclosures, metal enclosures, connectors, the whole uh, network there. Anything a signal passes through, mm-hmm. so you can watch TV or talk on your phone. It's pretty much what we're supplying. What are some of the maybe pick one or two of the really cool new products and new technologies that you guys are getting into in the ABS team? Um, can you think of a couple and you want to talk about them? 
Yeah. So I would say the last few years kind of leading up, there was a big push in Mocha products, Mocha technology, uh, multimedia over coax is what that stands for. Okay. Um, so that was the technology that most of the broadband operators were using to create in-home networks. So, you know, you would have like one set set top in your house that would be the hub. And then if you were, let's say in your bedroom and you wanted to watch something, it would be streaming from that hub mm-hmm. essentially. Um, well, the technology to do that was, was Mocha the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of created a different need inside the home that was used a lot, utilizing different bandwidths, different frequencies on the copper network. So coming out with passive and active products that were specifically designed to optimize that network to create larger and larger in-home networks and carry that data, um, the HD data between, you know, your, your hub and then the receiver and the client. So there was a lot of push, I would say over the last few years. And once that kind of, that kind of hit a peak and now we're just seeing that major push into, um, optical equipment. You know, mm-hmm. and then for us, the doors open as we make new acquisitions and we start working more with our sister companies. I think we do a tremendous job of cross sales and mm-hmm. pull through from other Amphenol companies. Right. And we're doing that like via the storefront model. So if we want to go into, um, you know, one of the major broadband operators, Amphenol Broadband Solutions is the storefront, mm-hmm. but we're bringing in, you know, Amphenol Network Solutions, which mm-hmm. is right. previously Telect bringing in their products, they're such innovators in their space. And those products kind of like, we kind of feel like they become our products too. You know, we're, we're in there helping represent those products. And then we bring in their technical experts when it's needed. We're doing the same thing with um, uh, Charles. So really we've been just trying to pull in as much of our um, sister company technologies as we can. And that's in the fiber optic space and the wireless space I think, mm-hmm. are the really the big the big focuses in this year especially. You mentioned something in your earlier answer about how when you would deal with customers maybe before you formulated the ABS group that you'd have one Amphenol division and then another one behind it and another one behind it with the same customer. I think that's not uncommon amongst uh, Amphenol operating groups over the years. I know spending you know much of my career in the military and aerospace side, it would be the same way. Mm-hmm. And customers would often be like, well, which one am I talking to here? Can I just speak to Amphenol? How did you overcome that once you formulated the ABS side? Or I, maybe I should say, how long did it take to kind of smooth out that process and not be, you know, not tripping over each other's feet? First, let me say, I think, unless you speak spoken to, to other groups, I think we're the first Amphenol group to, to really drive this home and make it successful with this mm. kind of storefront model. Yeah. And I would say it probably took us a good six or seven years. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it was a long time and it really just, it was kind of an untested thing, you know, and on one side we had to ask other brands to relinquish a little bit of their control and mm-hmm. put a little bit of their trust into another group. Um, and we did the the same thing. So if we have products that are going into another market, let's say um, a satellite space, mm-hmm. 
our teams on the back end might not be the same, be interfacing with the same customers that they used to. We had to give up some of that interface. So it just takes a lot of trust and time, but over kind of like overcoming that was really just over time getting the buy-in from each of the companies, each of the sister companies to say, yeah, like we collectively agree. This is what our customers need. This is what they want. And they have asked us for that. Mm -hmm. They said, I I don't want to, I just want to talk to one person. Right. Right. So that's what they want. How do we be customer centric and give them what they want? Um, And then over time, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then now we have a really nice storefront model, you know, and it's still evolving, but I think it's come such a long way. It's been a huge success. How much has the uh, COVID pandemic affected the ABS business, you know, especially when it comes to the storefront model, so to speak? How much has it, what, what changes have you seen as a result of, you know, what's happened around the world over the last year with, with your business? I mean, obviously, the broadband space oh, became yeah. absolutely essential, yeah. critical backbone sure. to everyone's survival during during the pandemic. Right. I mean, the networks that we're, we're supporting and that we're providing are the ones that are allowing us to communicate right here like this, mm-hmm. the work from home, you know, education, schooling. Um, so the reliance on our products was immense and there was you know right in the beginning we could see right away those broadband networks Mm -hmm. were being squeezed yeah i mean connections were slow i mean it was just such a burden they weren't really designed for that and you know credit to the operators who just immediately it might not have seemed fast enough for the for the end user but man like just immediately went out and did the necessary upgrades, did the investments. And then in turn for them to do that, that just kind of falls back on, on companies like ABS mm-hmm. and our group to make sure that we have the product, we can still manufacture, you know, um, just like a lot of Amphenol companies, we have a lot of manufacturing in, in Mexico and the Gallus and, and keeping those sites up and running. Did the uh, situation also give you the opportunity to develop new products or use new technology? Because I, I believe too that, I mean, you had people that were out in the field right away working with these customers, um, unlike a lot of the other markets that we play in where it was just you're working from home or calling people remotely. But you had people, I believe, in the ABS side that were going to sites and going to places and, and having to deal with you know, helping these customers out, but also doing it in the middle of a pandemic, right? Yeah, I mean, we were just out um, more on like a tech support side. Like yeah. These networks are so critical. Um, you know, we just had folks out to to look at some potential potential problems or potential issues in the network. You know, and that's critical travel. You gotta you gotta do that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, just uh, supporting those those customers and those networks just became like even more critical and everything needed to be done yesterday. You know, there is no, there's no delay. You didn't have any luxury of like time with this kind of stuff. We'll go backwards now and then work our way back up to present day. So you grew up where in, in New Jersey? I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. Went to Temple University in Philadelphia. An owl. Yeah. (laughs) Temple (laughs) owl. Yep. Now two of my brothers 
also went to school in um, in Philadelphia, but they went to St. Joseph's University, mm-hmm. so they were Hawks. Yeah. Um, so so the, the owls and the and then, of course, yeah. And then and then my father is from South Philly. He, that's where he grew up. Yeah. So we were all born and raised Eagles fans. Mm-hmm. So we're just like a big family of birds, <laughs> hawks, eagles, owls. Yeah. So what did you study when you were at Temple? Business administration and marketing. What was the reason to pick that? It's different than engineering. Engineering, you know, I talk to people who are engineers, and you know, they usually knew like, ah, I was just a geeky kid who you know liked to tinker with toys or. Or, or, or cars or whatever it may be when I was a kid. What made you th- pick that? So this is a two-part part answer. Okay. Realistically, in my mind, I, I, that's, I always wanted to do business. My father was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneur spirit, I mean, would always listen to his stories about things that he created and started and businesses. It was just always, he's always very passionate about that. Right. That rubbed off on me. So I was always like, you know, business is probably the path. I want to learn how to do things that he did. But I don't know at what point, but in the summer going, leading up to my freshman year in college, I said, I want to be an orthodontist. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Midlife, mid, mid-early life crisis. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah. so my father drove me in the summer. Yeah. Apple. I went and met with our, uh, you know, counselor. I said, this is what I, this is what I want to do. And he said, all right, well, you, we'll just change all your classes. So I changed all my classes from a business course mm-hmm. to a, a science and medical, uh, medical course. Right. My second day of classes, freshman year, I went and to my first chemistry class and then he put up the periodic table of elements and said, you need to memorize this, um, for your first quiz. So after the class ended, I walked out, I walked to my guidance counselor and said, I'm switching back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going back to business. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, I stayed. So for, for a brief moment, uh, I was going to work on people's teeth. Yeah. It's, I, I have a similar story from college where I was not a communications major at first and I had to take an anatomy class my freshman year. And I remember the teachers, one of those big, huge lecture halls with like 150 people in it. And I remember she said, look, I know you're going to cheat anyhow, so I'm going to let you cheat on this test. You're allowed to use one 3x5 index card. And on that index card, that's all you can bring into class along with a, with a pencil. You can put as many cheat notes as you want on that one index card, and, but that's it. That night before the test, I mean, I got like the finest fine pen that I could find. And I think I had all 206 bones. I had all the oh, muscles. Yeah. I had everything you could possibly <laughs> You know, you'd need a, a jeweler's loop to to read it, but but I had that, and yeah, but I was the same way. And after the fact, I was like, yeah, this is not for me. I, I'd rather yeah, be a, a little a, bit more. I had creative. a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple of those note cards too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you get into business. Um, you graduate from Temple. You get out, and then uh, you know because I I did peep at uh, your your LinkedIn profile. You worked for Apple as a Mac specialist. Mm-hmm. So what, did. what is that? What was that like? So I worked for Apple while I was still in college. Yeah. Um, so I worked through, I think I got that, that job when I was a freshman. And they just had a couple of Apple stores. They weren't, Apple retail was kind of like just starting to pop up. Um, and it was, I mean, 
no offense to my career, but that was the best job. <laughs> that was so cool. Really? Um, Why is that? At, at that time, yeah. like, that's when like Apple was so like up and coming. Like that was the place to be. But the education I got in that store was incredible. Like we got hired before the store opened. Um, so it was going to be a new store. So we went through a very different training process than like a normal person would go through in a, in a retail environment. Mm -hmm. We were in more of like classroom settings. We did breakout groups. We learned about psychology, um, customer treatment. The people that came in to train us were, um, were like, uh, they would train, oh shoot, what? Some of like the big hotel chains, like luxury hotel mm -hmm. hotel chains. It was really interesting because they were like, if you notice the people around you, some are very technical, some are not technical, some are not avid Apple users. And they were like, we don't care if you're the biggest Apple fan in the world or not. We don't care if you know how to use any of our products. What we care about is how are you with people? Mm. How are you going to treat people? Mm -hmm. What are you going to prioritize? And they're like, those are the things that we can't teach you. So we're going to bring you in and teach you everything else. We'll teach you all the technical stuff. Hmm, and like yeah. being, you know, 19 years old, thinking about that stuff, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what a, what an important way to, to look at, at business and who you're hiring and stuff. So I loved it. I worked, worked there all through college. And then I was going to um, work for Apple in, in Manhattan after I graduated. So my old boss at the Apple store was promoted up through the, the region and he was then based in, in New York. Um, so I had spoken to him and he offered me a position in Manhattan. So after school, I was going to do that. And my father had gotten sick and had his second open heart, second or third open heart surgery Oof, um, that summer. And him and my brother um, started the their business that business a, a few years prior and it was still very very small um, it was just I think my brother and two other people mm -hmm. maybe three so while my father was recovering my brother asked if I want to come and come and help through the summer right so I called Dave at Apple and I said if that's okay let me hang out till the until the fall I'm gonna stay back help with, with the uh, with my family so I did and long story short, I never made it, never made it to Apple. Yeah. Um, my brother and I just, just continued on. Um, you know, finally my, my father got healthy enough, came back to the business. Um, and we just kind of continued on and rock and rolled from there. And it's a good segue because you're talking about extreme broadband, correct? Correct. Correct. So that was the, it was a family run business that you were part of with your brother and your father. And, and what did you do at, at, at extreme broadband? So the beauty of a small family business is you kind of do everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that's and, true. <laughs> but, but, but literally like between my brother and I, we, we really did do everything. Not that we did everything all at once, but we would, I kind of look back and, and we rotated responsibilities mm -hmm. like one eighties of responsibilities. Mm. So I came on when I was like just starting out, I was helping in the engineering lab. I was doing product testing. Interesting. Man, I remember like? <laughs> a lot of, um, <laughs> a lot of floppy disks. 
Okay. <laughs> That's how we were storing data, you know, on um, RF amplifiers and passives and stuff. So I was getting to know the products through testing on network analyzers and scopes and stuff. So getting more of like the technical side of things. Um, and then kind of got into more of the marketing stuff, more of the presentation work. Um, then I was getting to go out and talk to customers, see customers. Mm -hmm. And then after a little bit, I was focusing just on certain product lines. So really almost like being in a product manager role. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, I don't remember the exact order, but there were times where I started working directly with our factories and manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So now I was getting more involved into the um, production of new products, some inventory stuff, you know, and then managing project design. My brother was running sales. Yeah. There was a time where he came in my office and he was like, you know, why don't we switch? I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we switched. I, yeah. He took over all the engineering. Yeah. <laughs> um, took over all those projects. Um, we had a small sales team, but then that became my, my sales team. Yeah. And roles flip-flopped. I spent more time out in the field. I was seeing more of the customers. Mm -hmm. um, I think we might have done that I mean, at least the once. I think we might have done it twice, <laughs> but it was it was great because we really got to be intimate with different parts of the business, but separate at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, we weren't overwhelmed. We weren't both doing everything. We each had our positions, but we got to to switch and and move around. Did you enjoy that? Oh yeah, yeah. It was great. That was fantastic. I mean, I think it's a little bit more difficult when you're in a much bigger business, but just being smaller since it's not like we were ever disengaged from one side or the other, but where the responsibilities lie, it allows you to really bring a new perspective in. Um, man, I, I forget the name of the book. I'll have to, I'll have to pull it up and you can put it in the podcast notes, but okay. they, they do analysis on a lot of different companies. 3M is one of those where they'll take, they'll take designers in, in one section of the business and you have to rotate out and go to something completely new because mm -hmm. you bring in new perspectives, new ideas. You just see things that your predecessor didn't see or the other person didn't see. I mean, you know, sometimes you just start to get a little bit of tunnel vision, Yeah. you know, when you're, when you're in a role for a long time. So I think making those types of changes and responsibilities was awesome. And then you got to a point with the family and the business where you were ultimately acquired by Amphenol. So, so what was that? What was that like? Now, it's funny because I think the last boy, it's the number of guests I've had recently. And it's I guess it's just law of averages. Almost everyone I've talked to was part of an, ac an acquisition. And when you make so many acquisitions like Amphenol does, mm -hmm. it's probably bound to happen. But, you know, this one, I think, is a little bit more unique for yours because you know, it was part of, it was your family's business that was acquired. So, so what was that like for, for you guys? I think this was unique, a unique acquisition in the, in the, in, by meaning we had worked with Times Fiber mm -hmm. for so long prior to acquisition. Times Fiber, TFC, Amphenol, TFC was really our only customer. We had worked out an exclusive arrangement with them for a number of years 
prior to the acquisition. I think at the time, TFC was really 100% only selling coax products, cable. Mm-hmm. It was the only product they had in the portfolio. Um, Dick Paglia was with TFC at the, at the time, and, and um, he's the one that kind of brought in another product line, started the diversification of, of TFC and their products. And that's where we came in with RF passives and actives, you know, like mm-hmm. in your home, like the cable TV splitters right. and amplifiers. Right. So we had had such one, we had a relationship there, a longstanding relationship. So it was very like an, it was a natural kind of in- integration, I would say more than an acquisition. Um, it certainly was an acquisition, but it was more of a, it felt like a more formal integration. Um, from a personal standpoint, like a family standpoint. Yeah, yeah. That was a very difficult decision. Mm. You know, on, on one hand, I think we knew that this was the logical transition for the business. I yeah. mean, to see the business grow, right. this is what made the most sense. On the other hand, we had a nice business. family business. Yeah. We had, yeah, right, we right. had a, a, we had, I mean, still have a fantastic team. I mean, we have our, our same team and um, it was hard. We all felt like family together and there's just that stepping into that unknown. Well, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? I mean, you yeah. know, everyone's going to come over now, but then are they going to, are they going to fire everyone, you know, next year mm-hmm. or, you know, we really felt that strong responsibility to the people who we, we work with, you yeah. know, and yeah. committed so much of their time and their life to, to the family business as well. So it was definitely a, a very difficult decision, but you know, that was in 2014 and they didn't fire anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's still here. And, uh, it was, it was an easy transition for us because like I said, our business was already structured. We didn't have to do anything with other customers or anything, Mm -hmm. you know, um, TFC was the customer we integrated directly in into that business um, fairly easy. Was it a true family decision to do this? I mean, was it more your father um, or did, did you all equally have input into, you know, that decision being made? Myself, my brother and my father sat in, in my dad's office for days on end mm-hmm. discussing, you know, what, what should we really do? And like credit to my dad, who's spent his entire life in this industry. Yeah. He's built, started, moved on from multiple businesses in the broadband space since the 1970s. Yeah. And this is what he loves to do, you know? And, you know, I remember him sitting there and saying like, I can keep running the business, you know, with you guys, it's fine. But, you know, you guys have more talking to my brother and I, it's that we had more of our future. We had to consider, you know, what did we, what did, you know, we want to do. And it's not like, like he left the decision to us. We still made it collective. We definitely made that decision collectively, but it wasn't like contentious and no one pushed. It was, it was a collective difficult decision. But it sounds like it, it's worked out pretty well ever since. So so that's good. And yeah, and, and credit to, to Josh, who was the, the GM at, at the time, Josh Hershey, mm-hmm. um, who really like, he, he was like, it's going to be okay, guys. 
this is good. This is good. Like, good. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> really, it'll be fun. Yeah, really yeah. In, encouraged. And uh, I think for him, that was probably the first acquisition he was involved in. Yeah. being part of Amphenol. So you know, I hope we didn't we didn't let him down. <laughs> it sounds like you didn't. And now you have ABS going on, and that's that's continuing to explode, which is great. So I know you know just knowing you a little bit, I know in your free time you like to get outside and be active. Um, go skiing apparently, which, uh, you mm-hmm. know, you, you could take the snow. Um, <laughs> you could take it from me <laughs> if you'd like to, <laughs> but even though it's winter time, I'm going to end this, uh, this conversation here with the old desert Island selections now. So, okay. um, I, I warned you beforehand. So I put you on a desert Island by yourself and allow you one album, one book and one movie. We'll start with the album. Which album would you bring with you? Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds live at Radio City Music Hall. You're going live. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good one. Um, how about a book? Hey, um, Untethered Soul. I don't know that one. Who's that by? Uh, and what's it, it is about? Michael Singer. Okay. It's uh, a book by Michael Singer. That one's a little that one's a little more more deep, but it's about it's about finding who you are. Which might be good in a desert island by yourself. <laughs> yeah, actually, very much so. It's an excellent, it's an ex, it really, truly is an excellent book. Okay. Um, if, if uh, I mean, it has nothing to do with business or it's not, a, it's not a good story, but it's actually it is. It's kind of like a story about, about yourself, but it's truly about, you know, taking some time to look in and figuring and answering the question, who are you? And then understanding that, that voice that's always talking in your head. The big lesson is you're not that voice. You're not that voice, Chris. It's a good book. Well, I, you just got deep on me there. I'm going to have to you know, ponder this uh, existentially here after this recording is over. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so finally, we'll end then with movie. If you had to pick one movie to bring with you, what would that be? And you wouldn't let me break any of the rules for this, right? Well, others have, I've I've certainly relaxed the rules. Some people wanted to pick, you know, like streaming TV series for a movie. Um, Sure. You know, they want to do, you know, an artist instead of an album. So, so yeah. Ultimately, I'd have to go with Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yes. One movie. Yeah. Um, But if I could also like sneak in Dumb and Dumber, I would, I would put that one in my back pocket too. (laughs) And, and that's Forrest because Gump. why Dumb and Dumber? Oh, man. Just growing up, my brother and I would just quote Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler movies just left and right. I, not many people know other than my wife and a couple friends. I can pretty much recite Dumb and Dumber from start to finish <laughs> without the movie being on. So should we, should we end singing Mockingbird? <laughs> yeah we won't do that but I, i'm sure people know it but uh so that's great so listen matt i want to thank you for taking the time to do this today you know I've, I've really enjoyed our time together that we get to spend each week um albeit on a zoom call like this um and the probably hundreds of times that you and i have talked and i don't think we've ever met face to face yet so it'll be good yeah, to do that at never. some point here, hopefully later this year. So again, thank you very much for doing this today. Thank you for having me, Chris. I appreciate it.